Well, glory to God. Amen. All right. Well, come on in and find a seat, and we're going to open the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Life groups are this week, um, Friday night. Hopefully everybody got a message, God. If you didn't get a message, God, uh, does anybody not have a message, God? If you don't have a message, God, raise your hand. Can you guys uh, keep, your, keep those hands up? We'll make sure you get one. Hey, they got a couple of hands up for message guides. Can you guys make sure they bring some in? There you go. We got them coming. Got them coming. All right. Well, pretty recently we um, we finished we finished talking. Um, I guess I was looking back over the summer. Pretty much took us um, most of the summer, and we covered. Um, we did the series on the Holy Spirit, and we talked about a lot about theology. Um, theology is not a dirty word, right? It's really not. It's the study of God. And it's good to study God, right? And uh, it's good to know who God is. It's good to know what His Word declares and what His Word uh, says. So we looked at a lot of things that uh, were oftentimes, I believe, misunderstood. And you know, our what I always say here, the best interpretation of the Scripture is the Scripture. So Scripture is the final authority on everything that we do, Right? Today I'm going to talk to you about, uh, about our mission, and I don't know how many of you could, you know, we do have a mission statement, and it's very consistent with, uh, if we could use this terminology, the mission statement Jesus gave us in his word. Actually, he repeated it five times. It's in every gospel, and it's also in the, in the book of Acts. Um, go to Matthew 28, what we commonly call the Great Commission, But here's our mission uh, as a church, to reach people and help them grow to become fully functioning followers of Christ. We could say to reach people and help them grow to become disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is not just someone who says, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus, or I belong to X church or Y church or Z church. But a disciple is a, a a learned follower, someone who follows. Well, if we're disciples of Jesus, then we're to be following Jesus. And so I want to talk about this today in terms of of our mission, because the reality is, if you profess to be a believer, God has given you a mission. We call it the Great Commission. Let's read that together. Matthew 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Father, we just ask today that, Lord, you'd open our hearts and open our minds to your word. Holy Spirit, that you would bring illumination and revelation, that God, we wouldn't just hear 
words coming out of the mouth of a man, but Father, we would hear your word, your truth penetrating our hearts, penetrating our minds, going to the very depths of our spirits, and God causing a transformation to take place within us that would be manifest through us for all the world to see. Father, we ask this today in the mighty name that's above all names, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the Great Commission, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That statement right there is very important. Jesus didn't say some authority. He said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. I believe Jesus was very purposeful in what he said. He didn't say go and make members of churches. He didn't say go and just make converts. There's an understanding, I believe, that if we are converted, you know, Peter said, repent of your sins and be converted. If we're converted, then we're going, we're converted to something. We're converted unto something, into something, and that is to Christ. And if that conversion has taken place, the purpose of that is that we become disciples. And we're commanded, commissioned, our mission is to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So this mission to reach people and help them grow to become fully functioning followers of Christ, this is the mission that we have adopted as a congregation, as a church that's consistent with what Jesus has commanded us to do. And our mission will be fulfilled, how? As we purpose, as we purpose to fulfill it. Or I could say it more personally, as you purpose to fulfill it, as I purpose to fulfill it. So the basis of our mission, based on the scripture, is obedience. Because Jesus has commanded us to go. He's told us to go. The basis of our mission, the foundation of our mission, the reason this is our mission is because this is what the Word declares. And so the basis of our mission is obedience. In Romans 10, chapter, uh, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul makes this statement. He says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And so we have a reason to obey. I mean, do we have to have a reason to obey? You parents, have, have, have you ever told your children to do something and they say, but, but why? Have you ever said these words? I don't have to give you a reason. <laughs> if you're a parent, if, you have, if you're a parent and you haven't said that yet, you will say that one day, I promise. As your kids get old enough, you're going to say that. But, but God gives us a reason why. I mean, he's God. He's told us. So really, he doesn't have to give us a reason. But, but here in Romans 10, 14, here's a really good reason to obey the Great Commission. Mark says it this way in his gospel. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Well, Paul says this. He says, how are they going to believe How are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him 
whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And you might stop me right there and say, hey, but, but, but Pastor Jeff, I'm not a preacher. It didn't say there, how shall they hear without an apostle or without a prophet? It didn't even say without a pastor or an evangelist. It says a preacher. That word preacher means a spokesperson. Uh, there's an old word that we don't use much anymore, a herald. Not herald like, hi, I'm herald. But a herald, a crier, a public crier. Do you know that we are all called to be heralds? Should have passed out name tags today and put herald. Some of you thought I was renaming you. But no, you're called to be a herald, a spokesperson for God. Well, how are you a spokesperson for him? Is it dependent upon how eloquently or how wise or how persuasive your speech might be? No. I love what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of the world. I came to you in fear and in trembling. In other words, there wasn't anything about how I said, what I said, that should have drawn you to me or to my message, but I came in the power of the Spirit. Why? Paul said, it wasn't my words, it wasn't my speech, it was Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not about how gifted or how persuasive you can be, it's about Christ in you. Is Christ in you? If Christ is in you, now, I, we've talked at, at length about this, but I'm going to remind you again. What does Paul say? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, it will strengthen your mortal body. Now, that, that can mean a whole lot of things, but here's what I want you to grasp onto right there. If you are saved today, if you have come to faith in Christ, the scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. We're called to be preachers, spokespersons for God. Not because we're all that, but because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And if we'll give place to that spirit, we're going to talk about this at length today in detail today, if we'll, if we'll give place to that spirit, if we'll be controlled by that spirit, that's what that word, remember, to be filled with the spirit, doesn't mean I'm standing here and God's pouring some substance called spirit into me. It means that if I'm saved, I have received the fullness of God and he dwells in me by his spirit and I'm to let the fullness of God, the spirit of God in me, control my life, fill my life. Don't be filled with wrath, be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled with lust, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let lust or don't let wrath or don't let bitterness or unforgiveness control or fill your life. Let the Spirit that's in you, as you have received Christ, Paul says, so walk in Him. Let that Spirit control you. And so that's how we become spokespersons for God. And, and being a spokesperson for God is not just about what we say. More importantly, guess what? It's about how we live, how we love people, how we talk to them, not, not just the content of our words, 
but the spirit of our words. You know, I can take the scripture and I can slice and dice and just destroy someone with what this word says. But that's not what it's given to us for. It's not given to us to slice and dice and to destroy. It's given to us that it would bring life. And so when we speak, when we are the spokespersons of God, our words and our life should communicate life. Amen? The life of Christ. So the basis of our mission is obedience. Go to Matthew chapter 22. So we looked at the Great Commission. Let's look at another scripture here, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Matthew twenty two thirty six. A lawyer comes to Jesus with a question. The scripture says in verse 35, testing him. They were always testing Jesus. And here, here was the question that was posed to Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we have the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Here we have what's called the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your, your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus said on, on this and on loving your neighbor as yourself, on these two hang all the law and all the prophets. And so we have a mission. And if the basis of our mission is obedience, the motive of our mission has got to be love, church. It's got to be love. The motive of, of living I hate to even use this term, living for Christ, because it, it implies this separation. I'm here and Christ is there and I'm living, I'm working really hard for him. Remember, we're not living for him, we're, we're living in him. He's our life. But we are on this earth and we are to do something for him. We are to, to be a witness for him and to him. And because there is now this unity of life, because I have been brought into Christ, because Christ is in me, because we are one, I am his body, he is my head, just like my hands and my feet, they, they obey what my head tells them to do, right? See, I'm telling my hand to wave at you right now. And my hand's not rebelling against what my head's telling it to do. Why? Because my, my hand and my arm, it's, it's all part of my body and it, it works under the direction of my head. Well, that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to work and function under the direction of our head, who is Christ. But the motive of, of what we do can't just be because I'm, I'm afraid God is some big bad ogre in heaven. If I don't do exactly what he tells me to do, he won't bless me, he won't make me rich, he won't make me successful, he, he might, you know, inflict me with a disease or he might take something away from me that I really like. That's not who God is. And the motive of what we do shouldn't be because we're afraid God's going to do something bad to us or, on the other hand, that he'll do something good for us. See, God's not someone we can manipulate with our behavior. 
But, but we should, out of love, our motive should be love. So Jesus said, let your motivation be love. Obey the law, keep the commandments because you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Not because you're fearful of some consequence or because you're anticipating some reward. But love, let love be our motive. So the motive of our mission has got to be love. In John 13, 34, Jesus makes a really remarkable statement. And he had the authority to make it because he was the living word. He was the son of God. He was and is the word of God. And so he makes this incredible statement in John 13, 34. Go there. And he says, a new commandment I give to you. Didn't mean that he canceled out all the other ones. But he gave us a new one and he had the authority to do it. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Why is that important? He tells us in the very next verse. By this, by what? By this love that you have for one another. By this love, all will know that you are my disciples. There's that word again, disciple. All will know that you are my followers because of the love that you have for one another. So we have this new commandment. It's, it's, it's different even than what we just read. Remember, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has taken it up another notch. Now it's not good enough just to love as we love ourselves. He said, now you got to love as I have loved you. Wow. That's love. I mean, that is love. Do you, ever, do you ever just stop and think about how much God loves you? If you don't, you really should. You know, there's so much in our world that, that, that really deceives us and conditions us into, into thinking that God isn't love. We look at all of the things that happen around us. I mean, some really horrible things. People make judgments on who God is based on certain circumstances and situations. But, but have you ever just sat down and really meditated on how much God loves you? I mean, the very fact that he created us really says something. You, you, I told someone the other day, I said, you know, God didn't create man because God was lonely, because God wasn't lonely. He didn't have anything better to do, so I think I'll create a man. Just watch him for a while and see what he does. In God's reacting to our failures. Oh, well, they ate of the tree. Dad, gum it. Now what am I going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to have to send my son now. No. We have these weird concepts of, of God. That's not God. God's not reacting to us. He is the Lord of all. He is the sovereign. And out of love, he created us. And out of love, he redeemed us. And out of love, he has given us life. And sometimes when the world is just beating on you mercilessly, you just need to stop. And you need to just begin to meditate on how much God truly loves you. Because the scripture declares that love will carry us through 
everything. So our motive, church, has got to be love. 1 John 5, 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. In other words, if love is my motivation, if my motive is love, then, then as he says in the very next verse, then his commandments won't be burdensome. God hadn't just put some burdensome commandments on us. Now we've got to do these or else, you know, I'll go to hell and I sure don't want to go to hell, so I guess I'll have to do this. No. Husbands, don't you want your wives to love you just because they love you? Not because they're afraid of something or trying to manipulate you into something. Or wives, don't you want your husbands just to love you for who you are? Even when you don't do everything you, they want you to do. Or Parents, don't you want your children just to love you because of who you are? Because you're their father, because you're their mother. And if life doesn't always go the way we want it to go, Love is still there to conquer all, to overcome all, to endure through all of those things. That's love. That's the love of God. It's not emotional. It's not relative. It doesn't rise and fall with the tide. It's constant. It's, it's unconditional. It's never failing. That's the love that God loves us with. And God wants our lives to be motivated with his love. He wants us to look at those around us who are not saved and not just look at them in a condescending way or just pity them, poor thing, they don't know God. No, not like that. But to look at them from a heart of love the way God looked at us. He came and redeemed us because he loves us. Does that love motivate us to look at the people around us, the world around us, and to look at them through the eyes of love, through God's eyes, with his heart of love? Does that love compel us to become spokespersons for God? Does that love compel us to love them the way God loves us? To bear with them the way God bears with us? Love is the only motivation that will not fail. You realize that. If you're doing what you're doing because you're wanting to get something from God and you feel like this is the only way you can do it, I promise you one day that motivation will fail. Because one day you're not going to get what you wanted the way you wanted it, in the quantity you wanted it, in the manner you wanted it, in the timely fashion you wanted it, and you're going to become disillusioned. If your motivation is not from love, the love that God has poured into your heart, then whatever is motivating you, even if it's fear, it, it will fail. And thank God that it will. That God will allow our false motivations to fail so that we can come to the true 
in only real motivation that, that can never fail, and that is his love. So the, the, the basis of our mission is obedience. The motive of our mission, why do I obey? Because I love him. And why do I love him? Because he first loved me. See, it's all started with God. It all started with him. He loved me first. That's how I can love him. That's what John said. So let's talk about how we're going to carry this mission out. How, how is the mission going to be successful? Let's go back to, to our mission statement as a body of believers called Christ Fellowship Church. Our mission to reach people and help them grow to become fully functioning followers of Christ. Because honestly, church, we're not just here so we can gather here on Sunday morning and hear preaching and teaching and sing nice songs and then go and live our lives and then come back next Sunday and just keep repeating this. There's something more to it than than just that. It's, It's got to be more than just this is my habit on Sunday morning. I get up and I go to church and I give God his due. But how do you see yourself when you leave here? How do you see yourself on Monday morning? Do you see yourself the same way on Monday morning that you do on Sunday morning? Do you see God the same way on Monday morning that you do on Sunday morning? Do you think in terms of of who he is and what we're called to the same on Monday as you do on Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? How about Friday night? Do you, think, do you think the same way on Friday night as you do on Sunday morning? So the success of our mission includes you. I am truly amazed that God has chosen humanity to carry his message. To be the vessels that God has poured his presence into to walk through this world and, and be his spokespersons. He, he, you know God didn't have to do that, right? God could have done it any way he wanted to because he's God. But in spite of our weakness, in spite of our frailty, in spite of, uh, of, of the sinfulness of our flesh, God has chosen to put in these earthen vessels a treasure so exceedingly great that, that it's really beyond our comprehension. Yet it's there. If we're born again today, if we're saved today, that treasure is there in your earthen vessel you call a body. In this earthly tent that's passing away, that treasure is there. That God would put such an incredibly valuable treasure in such a frail vessel is really amazing. But you know why God was brave enough and courageous enough to do it? Not because he trusts you, but because he knows who he is. See, he's not, he's not just counting on you to not drop the ball. He, he didn't give you that treasure because he didn't think you would never fail. Oh, he knew you would fail. He knew you would drop the ball and I would drop the ball. But he knew that he has the power and he has committed to cause us to persevere, to stand God has done that. In spite of all your failure this morning, I'm telling you what, God has the power to cause you to stand. And he will 
cause you to stand if you are his. In spite of all the bad choices you've made in your life, I'm telling you what, God is bigger than your bad choices. And you can live your life with regret about everything bad you've done and all the poor choices you've made in the past, but but I'm just telling you, don't do that this morning, church, because you can't go back and change your past. You can't unscramble eggs. You can't put the milk back in the bottle that you spilt. You can't do it. But I'm telling you what, God can redeem your future. And he has redeemed your future, whether you know it or not, if you're his. Are you his? Do you belong to him? Does he belong to you the way we sing in the song today? Are you trusting that 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 bloodied body hanging on that tree, that that sacrifice sufficed? I'm telling you, it did. It did. And it still does today. And God in his sovereignty has chosen to include you in bringing his mission, his commission about. It's not Jesus walking the streets today making disciples. It's his body. It's you and I that he's called to walk these streets and to make disciples. It's not his mouth anymore that is declaring the word of God. It's, it's our mouth. It's his word we're declaring. But he's chosen to use our mouth. And our mouth should speak what his mouth would speak. Our hands should do what his hands would do. You know, the, the disciples prayed an amazing prayer in Acts chapter 4 when they came back after they'd healed the, the lame man at the temple and they were arrested and they were um, chastised and, and they came back and they rejoiced at what God had done and they said, why do the nations rage, man? You know, uh, why do they plot vain things? And they prayed this prayer. They said, Lord, let us speak your word with boldness. Let us stretch forth your hand to heal. Why did they say that? It, it wasn't literally the hand of Jesus, right? You do understand that. It was their hands. It was Peter who reached out and took the hand of that lame man and saw him healed. But he was healed by the power of God. But it was his hand. It was Peter's hand. But Peter understood when he stretched his hand forth to take the hand of that lame man and lift him up. Peter understood, hey, that's not my hand. That's the hand of Christ. Because Peter identified himself that way. He didn't always identify himself that way. I mean, not too long before that, he was out fishing and was ready to give up. And Jesus had to remind him, As many times as you denied me, confess your love for me. And even though you can't love me the way I love you, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And I'm going to enable you to fulfill. I'm going to cause you to stand, Peter, in spite of all your failure. Do you believe today that God can cause you to stand in spite of all your failure? He can, church. He will. But if we'll begin to see... That it's not my words. It may be my mouth. It might be my hand, but my hand's not going to heal anybody. But, 
the hand of the Lord. His arm is not short that it can't save. He's more than able. And God in his sovereign power and grace and mercy has included us to be part of what he's doing. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. This is where we were last week. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The they in verse 42 refers to those in verse 41, the 3,000 souls that were added to them. This was the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching this message. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them, the scripture says, and they continued steadfastly in the doctrine of the, uh, of the apostles and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So I want you to look. What's it say? It says, the first, the first part of verse 42, they continued steadfastly, they continued. I want you to look at the last verse there in that chapter, verse 47, and the last sentence. The last sentence of verse 47 is, and the Lord added to the church. The first sentence of verse 42 is, and they continued steadfastly. There is a connection between they continued steadfastly and the Lord added to the church. There's a connection there. This is what I want you to see. And in the middle, in verse 46, it says they continued daily in one accord. He's not talking about a Honda there. He's talking about a spirit of unity. Now, y'all know Honda's the national car of heaven, right? He's talking about unity. Remember that word, accord, speaks of a passionate rushing of breath? It is this one voice that they spoke with. This one passionate voice that they spoke with. They were of one accord. They were one man declaring one word. One name, one body. And because they continued steadfastly, daily, not weekly, but daily. And I'm not saying that you got to fill your days with all of these church activities. That's not what I'm saying. But, but I am saying this. Do you continue daily? When you leave here, do you continue daily? in your attitude, in your mindset, in the way you look at things, the way you comprehend and perceive things. What eyes are you looking through? What heart are you loving with? What mind are you discerning? And what spirit are you discerning with? It should be of Christ. The mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ... We should have the heart of Christ. We should see through the eyes of Christ. Daily, we should continue in that. God in his sovereignty has chosen us to be the vessels he uses to carry out the command to make disciples. And when we become his disciples, we in turn, what? We make disciples. You don't have to be a a Bible scholar, you don't have to be a great theologian to help someone walk 
in Christ. Walk in the Spirit. To walk with them. To see a brother fall down and extend your hand and say, let me help you up. To see a brother faltering and ready to fall and go to him or a sister and say, not judgmentally, not condemningly, but to go and say, let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. That's being a spokesperson for God. Wherever you are, in your home, in your workplace, on Sunday morning, in the congregation, wherever you are. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul says, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And so when we look at these scriptures, for instance, in Acts 2, 41 through 47, we see this principle of planting, watering, and increase. We see it again. It's all through the scripture. We see it again in Acts 5, 42, into, the, in, into the chapter 6. Look what it says there. Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, you see this principle of planting, watering, and increase. Guess what? We're called to plant and we're called to water. But who is it that gives the increase? See, that's a very important truth to understand. If you don't understand that, you'll get real frustrated. And you'll say, man, I've worked so hard planting and watering, but I can't, I can't make it increase. Well, you were never meant to make it increase. You're just to plant and to water. Do you realize that there are people that come in and out of your life and you may simply be planting or you may simply be watering and God may bring the increase, give the increase in some place and some time that you're not even aware of. That, that's, that's, that happens. But when we talk in terms of a congregation of people, there should be this process of planting, watering, and increase that takes place that should be an ongoing process, an ongoing reality. And we are all called to be part of that. You, believe it or not, are called to plant and to water. I believe that. You are to be a spokesperson for God. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to go to Bible college or to seminary. You don't have to have some title. If you are a believer, that's the only title you need to have. That's the only label you need is believer. If you are a believer, then God says you are my spokesperson. And our life, listen church, our life is speaking whether we know it or not. Remember, we're all preaching a message. The question is, what's the message we're preaching? And people are listening and they're watching whether we know they are or not. And they're making judgments about our message and about the, about the God that we're pro- proclaiming to know. We're either preaching a, a, a true gospel or a false gospel. A, a, a good gospel or a twisted and perverted gospel. So we really need to be purposeful about how we live. And we need to be purposeful about the words that we use. And not only that, we need to be purposeful about the tone that we use with our words. Because we don't know who we're talking to. And we don't know what our words are doing. But if we're purposeful and we are declaring this word... I'm telling you what, the words we speak 
can be seeds falling on good ground. Or the former, the latter rain coming down to water the seeds that have already been planted. I'm telling you what, the words you speak may be the thing that, that will spark God to give the increase. How did those 3,000 people come to be saved, souls? Because Peter declared the word of the Lord. He planted, watered, and increase came. And we see this pattern. And we're called to this. We're called to this, church. That's why the success of our mission includes you. That's why Jesus gave to us, recorded in his word, his great commission. Because he has included us. Not just professional ministers. Not just people who stand behind pulpits for a living. But but all the saints of God, all the believers, all the body is to declare that life. Make him known. Not just in our words, but in our life. Your personal, your personal spiritual growth or increase will result in the corporate growth or increase of the church. And I'm not just talking numbers your personal growth in the Lord, in, in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, should resort, re, result in a corporate growth, a corporate increase. That's why we've been called to live together in fellowship with one another. Because as we grow in the knowledge of Christ, as we grow in the Lord, in the knowledge of Him, in the grace of Him, we are supplying to one another what the other needs. It's important. And so as we continue steadfastly in those things that contribute to the increase that only God can can give. So as we grow, as we increase spiritually, and it creates this corporate growth, this corporate increase in every sense of the word, that that happens as we do that, then, then God will give increase and it's it's only him that can give this increase as we continue steadfastly in those things so success or growth or increase this word success we we have come to embrace success but we've embraced it in a carnal way in a in a way that that really is is not in its proper context Jesus said it like this. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Well, if he gained the whole world, in a lot of people's eyes, he would be a very successful man, right? But, but God says he's not success, successful at all because he's lost, he's lost his very soul. So when we talk in terms of success, we need to talk in biblical terms and understand it's like salvation, God came to bring wholeness to us in every sense of the word to make us whole. And that wholeness is the way he defines it, not the way we define it. And so when I talk about success here, I'm talking about growth and increase in him, in the knowledge of him. And that, that's not dependent upon you, but it doesn't happen without you. Disciples, making disciples is not dependent upon you, but it doesn't happen without you. You became a disciple of Christ because somebody 
Somebody was a spokesperson for God. Somebody took the time, whether it was a pastor or a brother or a sister, or whether you just got it by coming week in and week out and hearing the preacher preach. But somehow, you've grown in your knowledge of Christ, in the, in, in the grace of the Lord, hopefully in a, in a good way, in a right way. That didn't happen apart from brothers and sisters. So we need one another. So the success, the growth, the increase doesn't depend on you, but it does not happen without you. Now we're going to stop right here because I'm going to go next week and we're going to finish this and we're going to talk about, and I'll touch on this right now, this word pray, the strategy of our mission is pray, P-R-A-Y. And I just made this uh, an acronym of the word pray. And we're going to talk about this next week in detail. We'll go through the last part of this message and talk about what it means to present, to be ready, to abide, to yield. Even the word pray What are we praying for? I'll leave you with this today. Remember I I told you the other day, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, we're praying for all of these things. And as we looked at the elements of the Acts 2 church, and one of the elements was the fear of the Lord. Proverbs uh, 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I said, one of the, One of the prayers, I think, right now, probably more than anything, the prayer of the church ought to be that the fear of the Lord would return to the church. Not in a scary way, but that we would begin to come to comprehend truly who God is. And and it should cause us to come to a place of, of trembling. Not trembling because I'm afraid of what he's going to do to me, but trembling because I realize what he's done for me. Because when I understand who God is in relation to who I am, I can't help but just have a huge sigh and and just think, my God, look what you've done for me. Not because I deserve it, but because of who you are. That knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when we talk about praying, what is, what is the subject of our prayer? Now, you know, the scripture is really clear. Jesus is a high priest that can identify with our weakness. But here's what I want to encourage you, church. God didn't give us the Bible just for our success and happiness so that our lives can be just the way we want them to be. He he didn't give us the word of God so we could all have storybook lives. His purpose and his plan is much bigger than that. And we got to get a bigger view and a bigger understanding of who he is and who we are in him. 
Now I'm telling you what, this word is powerful. It is powerful to heal. It is powerful to save. It is powerful to deliver. It is powerful to provide everything you need to have provided to you. It's powerful. It's a living. But it's not given just for us. We have been brought into what God is doing. I'm not the center of the universe. God is. <laughs> and so our prayers need to become more about what he has declared. What? Stop and ask yourself, what? You know, people come to me as a pastor. I can't tell you how many times a week people have this conversation with people. Well, I just want to know what my purpose is. I, I, just, I just want to finally find out what my ministry is. I've been waiting what my purpose is. God has given us such clear direction of what our purpose is, what our ministry is. I tell people, I said, uh, husband, if you got a family, your first ministry is, is your family. Parent, your first ministry is to your children. Well, are you saying that, I'm saying this is where your ministry begins. I, I'm not making a judgment on where it's going to go after that, but if it doesn't start there, then we got a problem. Can you guys agree that we have somehow lost this truth and reality? Just look at our nation. You can point at the politicians all day long. You can point at everybody and, and we can cast blame, but, but let's come back to the doorstep of the church. Why isn't the church preaching and teaching that our first and greatest ministry begins right, right where we live. Judgment begins in the house of God. It all begins right here. And so, are we praying consciously that we would fulfill the mission that Jesus Christ has given to every believer? Are you passionately, are you as passionately praying that you would fulfill the Great Commission as you passionately pray that God would meet your financial needs? Are you as passionate about your prayer to be used by God to fulfill His commission to make disciples as you are for your needs to be met physically, emotionally, the relationships that aren't going the way you hope that they would go? I'm not trivializing those things, church. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But have you ever met somebody that, that has so many problems, they've got so many issues, they have become so focused on themselves, they can't see anyone else, they can't understand anyone else, they can't see beyond their world of hurt? You know, the amazing thing, when you can get a person like that to begin to look beyond themselves, to reach out beyond themselves, to see that there is a world out there, a universe out there that does not revolve around them, it is amazing the amount of healing that takes place. It is amazing the amount of dysfunction that, that now has turned into function. And I'm telling you, the church has become like a dysfunctional person who is so focused on herself 
that we've lost sight that God has called us to live beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, that we have a mission and a purpose that goes beyond ourselves, that transcends ourselves. Remember I said last week, let the eye die. We need to let the I die. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Church, let's become passionate about fulfilling the mission God has given to his church to make Christ known to this world. That we would be purposeful in being the spokespersons of God, in the way we speak to people, in the way we extend his love, in the way we express and manifest his life. Can we be purposeful in that? And live beyond ourselves and begin to see the nations come to him. The nations will never come to him until the people around us begin to come to him. Amen? Don't go try to save the world until you begin to be conscious of those around you. On the back of your, your message guide there, and I put this on there, and I want, uh, I'll send out an email for the life groups this week, but I put there in this, so I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to pray. List three unchurched friends and or relatives in, in our community and begin to pray specifically for those people. Now that's to pray for them, to pray for their salvation, to pray that God would touch their lives. That word pray also has to do with the last part of this message we'll cover next week. And if this is the church, the body of believers you have joined yourself to, if this is where you are getting your spiritual food and your spiritual nourishment, and you've got friends and people out there who are unchurched and unsaved, church, let's begin to be on mission. Let's start making disciples. Well, well what, if, what, if, what if I offend them? Well, don't be offensive. But if they're going to be offended by Jesus, then uh, they're going to be offended by Jesus. But you don't have to try to be offensive. Try loving them. You know, I, someone, I heard someone the other day say, you know, um, you know, some people, they say, well, they, they know I go to church here, but they won't come. Well, have you ever invited them? Have you ever invited them over to your house to have coffee? And just, have you ever said, hey, is there anything that I can pray with you about? You know, what's going on in your life? Let's, let's quit living surface. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Ask God to reveal the people that he's placed in and around your life. Become sensitive to who they are. And ask God to give you an open door to speak into their hearts, into their lives. And, and declare his word. Declare this gospel. Make known who he is. And trust God. Become passionate about praying for that. Let your prayers become fervent to that end. And, and I promise you, as we become faithful to do what he's commissioned us to do, all these other things that just seem to be so worrying us and stressing us, and we're just, I'm telling you what, you'll, you'll be amazed at how those things will just begin to take care of themselves. Seek first 
my kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Is there anyone here today before we go, and you say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know that I have ever truly given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'm saved. If you want to know that you have truly been saved. And John says this, he said, I've written these things to you little children that you may know that you have eternal life. If you don't know, but you want to know for sure that you have eternal life, I'd love to talk with you and spend some time with you. And you come after the service and let's talk about that. Is there anyone? And you just say right now, I I want you guys to pray for me. I want to know, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you don't know for sure. There's no reason to be ashamed. But if God's calling you, if God has put his finger on you, respond to him. Don't resist him. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you today for your word. And Lord, I pray today, Father God, that you would, by your spirit, do a work in your church. Lord, in this body of believers right here called Christ Fellowship, that God, we would be a people mindful of what you have called us and commissioned us to do. That, God, we would be a people that that would begin to live beyond ourselves, that would look beyond ourselves, God, that would have a concern beyond ourselves. Lord, not that you're not mindful of those things. You are so mindful of everything that's happening in our life. You've promised us that. You've demonstrated that to us, Lord Jesus, because you came and died for us. Father, I pray that we as your body would begin to be passionate about fulfilling the mission you've given us. Lord, to make disciples of the nation, to make Christ known to the world around us. Lord, we may be the only Jesus that some people will ever see, will ever know. Father, I pray that we would be a good witness. That, Lord, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, Father, we would share that knowledge. Not just with our words, but, God, more importantly, with our life. And how we love the way you love and how we handle the way you handle. How we speak in the manner you would speak. Lord, we pray today that your will be done in Taylor, Texas, even as it is in heaven. That your kingdom come, that your will be done in our city, God. In our city, God, even as it is in heaven. And you've chosen your church, your body, to do that work. To see that will accomplished in a real way. Father, help us to live with that understanding, with that mindset, with that reality. Father, bless your people as they leave here today. Bless them, God, to be a blessing and a light and salt in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. Have a great day. Dr. Larry will be here at 7 tonight, so you guys come on back.